Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, folks. I am John Najarian from Market Rebellion, and this is Compound Interests. Compound Interests is where I get to sit one-on-one -on -one with uh, business leaders, and we talk about interesting topics. Uh, a lot of it is finance, but some of it isn't. Today's topic uh, with Bill Capuzzi, who is the CEO of Apex Clearing, is really an interesting listen. Um, I think you'll really find the insights about stock loan, about what Robinhood and SoFi and a lot of these big uh, online brokers with a lot of apps and so forth for your phone. And that's how a lot of millennials and Gen Z folks are trading is through that app, not on a big platform, but just on their handheld devices. I think you're going to find that Apex as a clearing firm that clears over 10 million of these kind of individual investors all the way up to institutional investors. It's a really interesting discussion because these folks trade very actively. You've heard about the Robin Hooders or Hoodsters. Um, you've heard about Davy Day Trader Global and things like that. These are a lot of the people who have joined into the market because of COVID, because of the shutdown, and they found more time on their hands. They're pretty good at the apps on their uh, iPhone and so forth. And a lot of them miss gambling on sports. So instead, they've gravitated over to where I think the odds are a lot better, and that is trading stocks. And so I think the discussion with Bill today is going to be one that you'll really find eye-opening as far as how many of these millennials there are that are trading here. He has a survey of uh, what they call the Millennial 100. You'll love hearing about that. And if you like Compound Interests, please give us a five-star review. We are on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. So we'd appreciate if you'd give us a five-star review and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Now we're going to tee it up with CEO Bill Capuzzi of Apex Clearing. Well, thanks for having me, John. Good to see you. I'm, I hope you're well and healthy. Uh, well, I am lucky to be that, and I'm certainly, I hope you are. You look it. It looks you know. like you've been getting some uh, sun here and there. Um, either that or you've got better lighting than me, one or the uh, other, and maybe one or the maybe other. Both. I, I call it uh, minimum security prison. I feel like I'm in. Uh, could be a lot worse, could be a lot better, but I'm, I'm lucky. Uh, yeah, look, I, I think the, the, the one thing to, to mention for the viewers is, let's just start with who is, what does Apex do? Uh, you know, wh where do we kind of fit into the ecosystem? And I think the simplest way to describe it is we're a custodian, right? So our job is to first and foremost protect and hold and service the assets of uh, customers, whether it be institutional customers, whether it be high net worth retail customers, um, but our sort of sweet spot in terms of what we do as a custodian is we service largely the millennial community, right? Sort of the, the FinTech community. And so what sits on top of us, we have a series of really sophisticated APIs um, and folks that sit on top of us, the Robin Hoods of the world, SoFi, Stash, M1, Weeble, uh, Tasty Trade, 
bunch of folks like that, that, you know, their job is to try and disrupt the old way of things have been done, right? Whether that's on the advisory side or find better, more creative ways to compete against folks like Schwab and E-Trade and TD. Yeah. And so folks, uh, a clearing firm, I mean, and Bill sits on the board or has served uh, as director over at Purging, um, which is uh, Bank of New York. Um, yeah. And that, uh, when he was there, he was responsible for institutional uh, product suite and, uh, you know, global clearing. So uh, I think, Bill, when you talked to the audience, as you just did about Tasty Trade and Stash and Robinhood, um, yeah. all of those guys are disruptors, obviously, just like you said, and they need a place uh, because the clearing function, folks, is something that when you trade, you and I don't think about clearing much. We're just thinking about the platform we're trading on. And, you know, the next day we come in, we'd like to see all the trades cleared and the correct money's moved back and forth. Uh, and that, by the way, that function is what the clearing firm does. They also are intimately involved in things like stock loan um, and directing order flow. Uh, so when, you know, whether you're at any of those uh, places that Bill named and I spoke of just now or SoFi or any of these other folks that clear through Apex, that's what they're relying on Apex for is to find them, you know, I need a short, I need to borrow. Um, you know, chances are uh, your buddies over at Tasty or over at Robinhood aren't out there looking for the borrow. That's Bill and his staff over at Apex. How many different firms do you guys clear right now, Bill? Yeah, so there's about 240 different institutions that use Apex. And, and it's interesting because it, it really, as a custodian, and we're a unique uh, asset, right? We're a unique company in that there's really not that many companies that actually custody the asset. And so roughly 50% of Apex is FinTech, like the companies you mentioned, there's roughly 30% that are more traditional advisor firms um, that still need a custodian, right? But want to do it more through a sort of modern lens. And there's roughly 20%, which is more institutional, right? So hedge funds looking for a prime broker, um, broker dealers that are trading high volume and need someone to, to clear those trades. Um, but again, I think the sweet spot and where our technology really plays um, and, and differentiates us, because you mentioned, you know, let's just pick Stash. Um, yeah, we clear the trades, we do the stock loan, we do the trading, but the other parts of it are, okay, when you, when you actually log on, you talked about kind of the, you know, where we've been for the last, whatever it is, seven months now, people are at home, right? And, um, and so having a, a mobile first uh, solution set, so let's just, you know, I'll, I'll pick on Stash. Um, we sit behind their app. Somebody's picking up their phone and they're, they're logging in. Um, our job is to open that account and to fund the account. So let's just start there because you don't get a second chance at a first impression. And our kind of, you know, we have a maniacal focus, so to speak, on making those things happen similar to if you were going to order something on Amazon, right? So type in John's name type in your address, type in your social security number, press go, and it fires through our APIs. We do the stuff in the background to open that account, and we measure that 
response time in seven seconds or less. So how fast can I open that account? And then the second part is, okay, John's account's now open. It's, it's opened in seven seconds. Link to your bank account and pull that money across instantaneously so that you can start investing, whether that's passive with somebody like a, like a Betterment um, or actively, like you said, like somebody like SoFi or Robinhood or uh, you know, Tasty Trade um, that wants to actually buy and sell stock. Right. Um, so the, the checks, as I recall too, Bill, are made out to Apex, are they not? Yeah. Um, so for instance, and that's, I, I'm being, I'm dating myself, I guess, Bill, nobody sends checks anymore. No. Uh, but they're, as, as they give them their bank wire information, um, it doesn't go to any of those firms that Bill spoke of. It goes to Apex because, as he said, they are the custodian. So yeah. whether you're um, moving stock certificates, you know, electronically, if you're using that to fund your account, if you're using T-bills or if you're using cash, um, all of those would go to over to Apex, which then holds them. So I imagine, Bill, that one of the big things for you has to be, uh, you know, the security of, yeah. uh, you know, because you must be hacked, uh, not all the way into you, but you must be attacked and people try to hack Apex all the time. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny. Uh, I'm watching CNBC today about, you know, the, the Chinese government, well, supposed Chinese government backing the hacking of Moderna, uh, Garmin, which I use Garmin products, the Garmin company got hacked recently. Uh, yeah, look, that's, you know, I started by saying our first job is to protect, hold and protect the assets of our customers, right? So there's roughly 10 million customers on our books, John, across those 240 some odd customers. And yeah, we have to take that pretty seriously, right? People wire money in, you got to make sure it's there tomorrow. And putting up some serious walls around Apex as a custodian is really important to us. Um, because look, um, you know, go back to what happened uh, with, uh, with Equifax, right? Mm -hmm. Where they got hacked uh, a few years ago, they ruined their business. Um, and so it can, it's just one simple thing like that that can really have a, you know, a sort of dramatic impact on the sort of future of the company. So yeah, for sure. That's, that is, uh, you know, kind of, number one on our list in terms of making sure we got our act together. Yeah, well, um, you know, I'm sure you see it as well, Bill, when they, when they do uh, uh, an interview, for instance, with J.J. Kinahan over at TD, or yep. uh, who's a friend, uh, or uh, uh, Lizanne Saunders over at Schwab, which will soon be the same thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, also a friend. Um, when they do those interviews, a lot of times they'll ask them, well, you know, you guys have, you know, this many million clients, what are they doing? I mean, you guys have uh, 10 million clients collectively through yeah. all of those 240 some odd brokerages that connect to you. Um, yeah. You guys must have a pretty interesting insight into what the retail customer is thinking and institutions because not yeah. all of those are uh, retail traders. Um, is that what's part of this Millennial 100? That's right. Um, so, uh, and it's interesting, you know, we'll talk a little bit about sort of this, this COVID era, which has been fascinating. But, um, you know, we have, like I said, around 10 million customers and there's passive investors and active investors. 
the vast majority of the customers on our books are in that millennial generation, right? Folks that, that um, you know, the average size of the account is in the, is below $10,000. Um, and to that point, you know, let's just, let's talk about what's happened this, this past year. Apex on behalf of our customers has opened more accounts year to date than Schwab, than TD, uh, than obviously Pershing, uh, than E-Trade, than Interactive Brokers. Uh, and, uh, you know, aside from Schwab, which has opened about half of what we opened, uh, we're more than the rest combined in terms of the accounts that's been open. Roughly 3 million accounts year to date uh, been open at Apex. And what it tells you is, um, that sort of mobile first, right? There's this kind of race now by the more traditional providers to get after it in terms of getting them modernizing what they do. The folks that have had these, you know, that have built their businesses around this, right? We talked about Stash and SoFi and um, you know, people like that, Ally Bank, um, that are mobile first. Um, they're giant recipients of what's happened over the course of the last seven months. Well, the um, the information that uh, that that you published, and uh, I imagine that it's fine for us to share not just here, but uh, perhaps even some of these graphics that you guys gave us. Um, it, it's pretty interesting, folks, because um, you know whether it's Gen Z for the folks that are born after 1996, or the millennial crowd, which is 81 through 96, or Generation X which I wish I was part of, <laughs> or Baby Boomer, which I am part of. Uh, baby Boomers, by the way, are 46 through 64. Um, the number one stock for all of them, and this is not a big surprise, is Apple. Um, and it's pretty much 13% to the low end. Uh, I guess with millennials, it's 10%. Um, but it's as high as 18%, the older, you know, towards the boomer end of this. But it's all of the stocks, Bill, that you know we talk about every day, which is, of course, why we talk about those stocks every day. Yeah. Um, I could talk about Kodak all day, too. But yeah. uh, un until two days ago, nobody wanted to talk about Kodak because they would have thought yeah. it was a, uh, a printer or a camera play or film. And yeah. uh, that's not what they're talking about over at Kodak now. But uh, this is all, it's Apple, Amazon, Tesla, Microsoft, Disney, Netflix, Facebook, you know, that's pretty much top of all of these, with the exception of the boomers, which is skews just a little bit more. They might have from Generation X to the boomers, a little more Boeing and maybe yep. some NVIDIA. But uh, it's pretty clear that your Robin Hoodsters are into these top names here, uh, just like the, the rest of us are, Bill. Yeah, it, look, it, you know, the and, you know, the, I think the other part of town is if you look at the returns, so you take those top four names, right, Apple, Amazon, Tesla, Microsoft, and you look at, okay, in the second quarter, how did they perform versus the S&P? Um, they well outperformed, right? 55, they were up roughly 55% versus 20% on the S&P. Um, so not only are they, uh, you know, those, those household names, as you mentioned, but they're actually picking good stocks quality stocks, right? People think about this millennials and Gen Zs as just kind of gunslingers that are, you know, buying the Kodaks on momentum. 
And the reality is on, you know, when we look across and it's a huge sample set, we're not talking about 10,000 people. I mean, we're talking millions of people in terms of the apex sample set, right? They're buying quality stocks. Now they're also buying, go back to the Peter Lynch, you know, the infamous phrase, buy what you know, buy what you believe in. Um, and I think what's consistent here is they're actually, you know, they're buying stocks that they use, right? That they, that they, you know, they interact with on a day-to-day -day basis in terms of millennials. I was frankly surprised, you know, this quarter we, we extended it and looked at the other generations. Um, I expected the baby boomers, and by the way, you're on the, you're, you're, you're like one year off. You've got to be close there in terms of <laughs> Gen X. <laughs> Yeah, well, you're a nice guy, but thanks. <laughs> um, but I expected, you know, especially the baby boomers um, for that list to look more distinct from the, from the millennials. And, and, you know, the, the, the reality is they weren't, which uh, I think was somewhat surprising. Now, as you get past that top 10, I think, John, that's where things start to diverge. I think that's where you start to see some interesting trends from quarter to quarter in terms of names that are coming on and going off. Um, and especially with all the volatility this quarter, uh, it's been fascinating to look at. Well, and I think one of the things that also stands out here, Bill, because, and I mean no disrespect to retail investors, but for the most part, um, what I'm following as a trader um, is, uh, you know, what I'd like to define more as institutional. I'm following, you know, the big money trades. Yep. Uh, that doesn't mean that I have, like I say, disrespect for a whole bunch of millennials that might be just like, uh, you know, has been alleged by Kramer and others that, you know, they're all pounding into Tesla or like you said, Kodak yeah. or whatever it might be. Um, I, I think in some cases they do. In a lot of cases, they're flipping, you know, in and out, just like yep. uh, AV Day Trader Global, you know, yep. the Dave Portnoy ph phenomenon. Crazy, um, right? I, you know, God bless him. He brings a lot of people in. He's a Pied Piper. Um, yep. And is he brash and uh, rough? Uh, yeah, of course he is, uh, which is why uh, they bring him on occasionally on television, but he's mainly broadcasting on Barstool Sports. <laughs> Right. But um, Davey does a great job um, making it, uh, you know, he puts, kind of puts it out there, I guess, Bill, that um, I'm as smart as any of these guys that are uh, doing these trades. Yeah. He said, am I intending to hold this thing for six years or six, you know, months? Probably not. You know, yeah. maybe six minutes. Depends. Um, yeah. And I think that a lot of what you described about, you know, so you have your iPhone and, you know, these guys are all guys and gals are sitting there with their fingers uh, clicking through there. The app um, is what a lot of people really um, are trading on. I mean, yeah, I'm sure a, a, a significant portion of the trades that come in through and to Apex are coming in via that mobile app yeah. um, rather than the platform of a big screen that, you know, you and I are used to traders yep. that are trading much more frequently are probably coming in through a platform. Yep. Yeah. Look, I, I think you're absolutely right. Most of, you know, we obviously know the volume by clients and most of those clients where that volume's coming in um, is, you know, they are mobile first. Now they have desktop versions of their platform 
uh, and I can't discern whether it's coming in off an app um, or off a desktop. Um, but I, I, I can tell you that um, most of them drive from a, from a mobile first uh, mm -hmm. perspective. And, you know, I think this, you know, this, uh, like I said, right place, right time. You know, I think we hit this COVID thing, all kinds of volatility, no sports betting, like you said, which I definitely think is a contributor here. People sitting at home with more time on their hands. It's sort of this perfect storm of, you know, opportunities, stocks whipping around, um, really low barriers to entry. It's just easier to get access to the markets today than it's ever been. It's cheaper. I mean, we're now at zero commission pretty much across the board. Uh, and, um, and, and then the last part, which I think is really interesting, is you know, half of the stocks that we traded this, this past quarter were uh, fractional shares. So follow that, John, right? So now throw in the fact that, you know, Apex built a fractional share engine now almost two years ago. It got some, some uh, interest, some play last year. Uh, it's now a massive, it's 50% of the business that we do. And the whole premise is, you know, think about something like Amazon, right? What, what's the, what, you know, where's Amazon's trading at like 2,600 bucks a share, Um you know, that's more than a lot of the millennials that, that are on our books have in total in their accounts. And so this concept of being able to buy $500, $200, $50 of Amazon has created opportunity for people to invest in stocks that, you know, again, a year ago, two years ago, they couldn't because this concept of fractional shares wasn't available. Um, that's one. And then two, which I think is a little dangerous for both, you know, at least former traders, I'm a former trader, you're a trader. I think the amount of activity in the options space uh, uh, from John Q. Public um, is something to keep an eye on. Um, that, that's where people can really get themselves into a lot of trouble. Uh, it's, uh, I, there's a ton of volume that's coming from the retail side as, as these platforms roll out options solutions. Um, and the markets have somewhat behaved uh, and, uh, you know, Kodak, I think, is a great example of where it hasn't. Uh, and the amount of shorts that, uh, that were on, the, the amount of, you know, folks that lost a tremendous amount of money not really understanding what they were doing, uh, I think, you know, um, is concerning. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see how that plays out over the course of the next, you know, quarter, two quarters. Um, my bet, and I'm curious your, your take on this, is, you know, we'll start to see things die down. I, I had expected June to be quiet and it was, it was on fire, rocking and rolling. You know, July is quieted down. I expect August to, to settle down, people take vacation finally. Um, and then with the election, things to pick back up in you know, late, late, late September. But who the heck knows? I mean, I, yeah. I was wrong. I was wrong in June. <laughs> well, um... I think a lot of the, uh, the addictive part of trading um, is, you know, it tr triggers that dopamine in our heads, Bill. Um, and when, when you're right, it just feels like you're on top of the world. For, for the people that just got stung in some trades, you named, for instance, uh, yeah. Kodak, as I did. And uh, there's certainly some folks who probably uh, uh, overstayed their welcome, if you will. Yeah. Um, maybe bought it uh, on that run up as it 
because for, for those of you folks who aren't familiar, KODK, Kodak, traded from $2.62 just a couple days ago to $7.94. I happen to have these pretty much right here, I think, Bill. And then yep. exploded to $60 the very next day. And the volume of trade, folks, was enormous. I mean, when it went from $2.64 or whatever up to almost $8, um, it did that on, I think, 280 million shares. Normal for that stock was like 60,000. I mean, think of that, folks. Not 10x, you know, but just boom. It just blew up. All these uh, people who are on the other side of that trade, people like Citadel, DRW, Jump Trading, you know, uh, 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 Virtu, you know, all of these folks that are on the other sides of those trades, um, we're just, I'm sure, overwhelmed. Uh, well, and, and, and John, I don't know if you watched it, but you know, go back and take a look. I mean, it ripped in seconds. I mean, this yeah. thing, this thing moved so quickly, people didn't have time to react. Right? There were yeah. obviously algorithms out there that were waiting for this to happen, but uh, the the sort of velocity, the speed of how this thing moved was uh, was pretty. Uh, even for old timers like you and me, it was pretty impressive to see how that thing moved and how quickly it moved. Yeah, I mean, you know, to see a stock go, folks, uh, you know, like, like I said, closed at eight bucks, it hit 60 in a hot second and came back down um, into the 30s almost as fast. I mean, when you look at it on the chart, which I would encourage those of you who do look at charts and things like that, you won't believe your eyes. I guarantee it. Uh, but I think it points out a couple things. Obviously, you know, the, as Bill said, the, uh, the risks that some people assume in trading. Um, also, the, the thing that I want to hit on, Bill, that you spoke of, the fractional trading. Um, yeah. And you said, you know, Amazon at 3,500 or whatever, or any of these huge stocks, uh, Google or Alphabet, if you will, you know, at 1,500 or whatever. These are big numbers. And normally, folks, when you're talking about trading with guys like Bill and John, you're talking about a round lot is 100 shares. That's the smallest increment that any trader really trades is 100 shares. So when I'm trading, if I'm trading um, options or stock, I'm usually in the 10,000 um, share range. So I'm going to trade 10,000 shares of stock. If I'm not doing that, I'm trading 100 options. Since every option is for 100 shares of stock, that would mean that that's representing a 10,000 share position. Just throw two zeros on the end of 100 and so forth. But that's not because I'm smart or because I'm rich, but I do have a bigger account than, like Bill said, the average account size uh, that has uh, been residing over at uh, Apex. But that means a lot of people had no access to the market because a round lot uh, 100 share trade in even Apple when Apple's 380 bucks is a ton of money, $38,000. Again, nobody could, I mean, not nobody, a lot of those accounts couldn't even touch it, which is why so many people trade options, quite frankly, because you could buy a 50 cent option on uh, that $380 stock or a $2 option, whatever it might be, $2 would be $200. Again, every option is for 100 shares of stock. 
so a $2 option, $200, yeah, that feels a little more comfortable for somebody coming in from Robin Hood or from SoFi or whatever it might be. And as Bill said, though, when they started offering fractional shares of stock, that gave people that want to just trade stock that don't really understand time decay, which is really important in options, or volatility, which is also very important in options. Um, if they don't want to worry about that, they just want to be right, you know, on a binary up or down basis, then you're just trading stock um, because it, for the most part, doesn't expire. <laughs> um, but uh, now that you have fractional shares, somebody could come in there and trade Amazon or uh, Alphabet or Apple or, you know, Picket, Netflix, whatever it might be. These are hundreds, in some cases, thousands of dollars for a single share. So again, uh, somebody at uh, the, one of those places that has 2,500 bucks in their account, they really think this is manna from heaven for them because now they can get involved whereas they couldn't before, Bill. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Um, and then throw on top, which again, I think is a little bit of gasoline on the fire given you know, the circumstances. You know, Schwab sort of pulled the pin last year about going to zero commission. Right, you know, Robin was the first years ago. That's how they launched their business. Schwab, I think, was the first big one to say, "Hey, we're going to zero. TD, E-Trade uh, followed. Actually, Interactive Brokers was before Schwab. Um, but you know, now the actual, you know, the, the at least the explicit cost to the consumer is zero. Right, um, that that commission, which used to be, I mean, back in the day, it was you know. 20 bucks a trade, then it's, you know, 595, and then it's 495 and 394, you know, whatever it is. Um, it's, you know, it's consistently come down over the last 20 years. It's now zero. Um, and in the minds, maybe you talked about sort of the dopamine around, hey, a great trade. That's the same sort of mindset around, hey, this is free, right? Um, so I, I, it's now fractional shares. I can get access really simply, and it's free. Um, you know, that sets up for what's happened over the course of the last, you know, whatever it is, you know, five months, which has been, you know, obviously a lot of institutional flow, um, but unprecedented numbers of, of retail consumers that have come into the markets. Um, and like I said, a little bit of a perfect storm, right? Because you had, you had no other outlet, right? There's no DraftKings. I mean, what are you betting on? There's nothing. Um, mm -hmm. And at the same time, you're sitting at home and not doing your commute. You're not doing, getting on planes. You know, people had more time. Uh, and I was telling, telling somebody a story. Um, I was at a social distance party with fewer than whatever, 20 people. <laughs> so let's start there. But it was a bunch of, uh, it was for my son's wrestling banquet this summer. Too much detail. But nonetheless, <laughs> I'm standing in this group of dads and we're talking None of the dads know that what I do for a living. And what was striking to me, and I'll make the analogy back to 1999, you know, people are talking, John Q. Public are talking about stocks, right? Hey, you know, did you see Tesla? Did you, you know, Moderna? Um, we should be buying Peloton. Um, the last time I saw that and heard that was, you know, as a younger guy in 99 when, you know, dot-com bubble. Um, but, uh, you know, those conversations are being had all over the U.S. today. Um, again, because some of some good and some not so good. Um, 
access to the markets is a lot simpler than it's ever been. You know, the, the spreads are incredibly tight um, and, you know, the cost, the explicit costs, at least, to, to, to accessing the markets are, you know, virtually zero at this point. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you'd agree, Bill, that uh, uh, even though there are some similarities to 99, there are also really significant differences. Um, you know, there are some stocks that will, like Zoom, for instance, Zoom uh, does a great job. Um, uh, Microsoft has Teams, Google has Meet. Um, there are a host of other competitors in the space that come at them. But um, once you get used to something, a lot of people do stay with it. As yeah. Zoom justified this run, this Zoom, from uh, 60 bucks into the 260s, not in terms of revenue yet, but yep. um, there are a lot of stocks uh, that I want to trade, that your customers want to trade, Bill, that are justifying it. I mean, you know, it used to be that we'd look at Boeing and say, we have a $12 billion backlog. You know, this is, this is how many jets have been yep. ordered, and some of them have down payments, and some of them just have a great history, like Southwest or whatever, where they probably don't have to put up as much money because they've just bought, bought, bought for years from yeah. Boeing. But then you've got something like Peloton, which um, I, I joked about it, Bill, on TV the other day, but you know, they, they said when they came out, that they're a clothing company. And then yeah. they're a tech company. And then, by the way, we manufacture and produce this bicycle, uh, yeah. this stationary bike. And then we have uh, internet connectivity. So we're a tech company. You know, they have all these different things. And so that's why I told Scott, Scott Wapner on our show, I said, Scott, you know, the reason that they get the valuation they get is if you add up all these PEs, <laughs> that's why they're trading for 60 bucks a share. Yeah. But the truth is, of course, that they are actually making um, a very nice profit on the stuff that they can deliver. Um, and they have an app that is now on Roku, for instance, so that people that don't even have a Peloton bike but want to join those classes and things like that, you know, they have found another way to get a revenue stream in and so forth. But it's not quite the same as uh, the globe.com in 99, Bill. Yeah, you're right. SkyMall, you know, where, it, what is SkyMall? Well, it's this catalog that you get and, you know, it's got all this cool stuff in it. Yeah. Remember those things that are in the I back do. seat of the airplane? Yeah, that's what SkyMall is. It's got a billion dollar valuation. And then Wait, people what? are like, ah. but now to your point though, Bill, yeah. I think there is a lot more conversation about stock, Tesla, Uber, uh, Carnival Cruise Lines. Most yeah. people, most uh, adults wouldn't have been able to give us the symbols for any of those stocks in yeah. 99. Uh, I know they they didn't exist, you know. Carnival did, but the other two didn't. Tesla yeah. or <laughs> um, Uber. But I think it's not just one way trade. Um, I think a lot of the folks are not just in and out, you know, long and then short. But a lot of the folks, when you and I talked about stock borrow, there's a fair amount of folks out there that are smart enough to say when they see something blowing up, whether it's Moderna you know, on a very positive thing that we're all rooting for, a vaccine, when yep. it shoots up, you know, 20% in the morning, there are a lot of folks, 
probably clearing through apex that say sold 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 you know and yeah. have short uh positions on and i think that is probably a much even though it's still a minority of the market a much larger percentage than it was in 99 because mm -hmm. in 99 all my friends would just call me and say well yeah I'm, i bought more intel i bought more cisco i bought more whatever it is but yeah. now i think a larger percentage, even though, like I say, it's uh, probably under five or ten percent, certainly of your investors or the investors that I see, are actively shorting things. But nonetheless, in '99, there wasn't any of that. They weren't shorting anything. They were just loading up. You'd mentioned stock loan. You know, the interesting kind of this is where the the two sides kind of is a dance, right? So, for every one of those shorts. I don't get too technical, but for every one of those shorts, they got to find a locate. Mm -hmm. right? They, they got to find someone that's going to provide them the ability to, to the extent that they need to, that those shares are available to cover that short. And um, a lot of that supply is coming from the retail side of the house, right? So at the same time, folks like TD have lost all that commission, right? They're a public company. You look at their commission line. Look at interactive brokers next time you get a chance, John. Their net interest income is, is, you know, obviously there's no, you're not making any money on cash. Commissions are at zero, but their stock loan revenue is through the roof. And the reason for it is because, right, they're, they're providing locates, right, where the sort of two sides come together. This is where institutional retail, right, Wall Street, Main Street kind of come together. Hey, to cover those shorts, you got to find a locate, and most of that locate's coming out of the you know the the retail side, right? The, the you know the you know the end consumer, and in names like Moderna, right? It used to be Beyond Meats. It's amazing, like right? you know follows and you know the markets well. It's it's supply and demand, right? So right, lots of shorting going on. They need the, the locates. And the, you know, the rates on some of these stock loans, the shorts um, you know, you know, through the stock borrows are just incredible um, because of all the volatility, because people are trying to put on these shorts and retail is really held up um, on this side, or at least the, the recipients, the custodians um, have made a, you know, a lot of money this year providing those locates to support the institutional side. And some of the people listening, Bill, will... Uh... Be hearing this for the first time. Uh, what you said, as well as that, uh, for instance, if I'm a retail investor, are you lending my stock out? Are you helping people short this very stock that I'm interested in? Um, and uh, the answer is, is it on margin? <laughs> right. Because if I fully pay for the stock bill, um, is interactive brokers lending out that security without my permission? Yeah, well, the answer is no. Right? Right. So I'll just take it from Apex's standpoint. The customer has to say yes. You can't. Yeah. You can't. I mean, again, let's go back where I started the conversation. Our first job, protect, right, and hold the assets of our customer. And, you know, that's why there's not many custodians on the planet. I mean, I talked oh. about a bunch of them, right? Because to do this right is hard work, right? Um, just the basics of being a custodian. And, you know, as this is a good example, you can't, you have to protect those assets. And unless that client explicitly says yes to providing the ability for you to, to lend out the stock, um, you can't do it. 
Um, and that either comes in the form of, like you said, margin agreement, um, or if the client explicitly says yes to being able to, to lend out stock and get something for it, right? So in our case, oftentimes the end customer actually um, uh, sort of uh, participates in that stock loan revenue, right? So our customer will collect it, will provide it to our customer, right? And they'll in turn provide some of that stock loan to the end customer. So it's like, well, this is great. Stock is just sitting in my account, just doing this thing and I'm getting an extra check. And to your point, look, there is something about, hey, I'm, I'm loan, loaning stock to somebody who's shorting the same stock that I want to go up. Um, while in fact that's true, the reality is people are gonna short the stock one way or another, mm -hmm. right? And they're gonna find that locate. And so, um, yeah, I guess if all of the, the, the you know, stock loan went away, people couldn't short. But the reality is um, that's, not, that's not efficient markets, right? You want no. both sides of this. That's the way yeah. right, we've been and at it a long time. There's we, nothing that lights up a stock like a whole bunch of shorts chasing it that have to cover. Exactly. exactly. Just ask right. the guys in Kodak. <laughs> exactly. And, and so there's something healthy around this in terms of the ecosystem that's created in our markets. Now, this is all the, the plumbing and the behind the scenes stuff, but it, it, it's what creates orderly markets for us. Uh, and, and so I, you know, look, I, you know, as a custodian, we take it seriously, but that job of, of providing loans against stock, um, it creates sort of the grease on the skids of the, you know, keep moving the trains down the tracks in our, in, in our industry. Bill, um, I just appreciate all of these insights. Um, we're going to have to have you back on the program for more of those Millennial 100 insights um, because, uh, like I say, you have a much broader swath of investors, uh, not only larger in numbers, um, but also more diverse. And I think when we hear from some of the other brokerages where it's an awful lot of pros, which is great, um, and you have those as well, but you. you're getting them from, like you say, from the Gen Z's all the way through to me. <laughs> <laughs> so Bill Capuzzi of uh, Apex, the CEO over there. Thank you very much for your time today. John, great to see you. Stay healthy, stay safe. You too, sir. Enjoy the rest of your week. All right. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.